want to express my gratitude to the congregation and uh, to the elders for letting us basically grandfather in a trip that we had taken every fall for about six years. And uh, we had agreed before I came that, or they agreed to allow us to be gone rather oddly this soon after getting here in August. Uh, I want to express that, my gratitude and how uh, good it was to uh, hang out with my wife for two weeks. But also when we pulled in Highway 59 and hit Hardy Street, we felt like we were home. And, and that's really a great feeling after just sh such a short time. And I know it's because you people have been so kind and gracious to us and we, we express our thanks for you um, and for the love that we have, we really have for this congregation uh, so soon. Praise, praise God for those good things. We're reading uh, from Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is on page 977 if you want to use the Bible that's in the pew. This is the second of Paul's uh, Two prayers, great prayers. Uh, well, I mean, who am I to say? <laughs> but just saying they're astounding in the scope they, uh, uh, that they have and, and what he prays for. And I want to mention, by way of introduction, it's wonderful for us to pray for details in our lives. But we also need to think. What are the giant things? What are the big things always to be praying for our congregation and for ourselves? And in his prayer in chapter one, his prayer in chapter three, uh, you, you can see these large prayers. And I, I hope this will encourage all of us to pray large prayers. The large prayers uh, in Ephesians, in the first of Philippians, first of Colossians, Paul, praise and outlines just beautiful things that he would ask God to do in the lives of God's people. And, and it's okay to pray for Matilda's sick chihuahua. You know, I'm not saying that details aren't important, uh, but I love how, uh, for instance, Josh prayed for large spiritual issues in our lives and then went to the details of our lives, different people suffering, different ministries and the like. And that's a great balance for all of us to have. So let's see how Paul prays for the people of God here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thus the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, bless us that we will enter into this prayer, uh, the heart of this prayer, that this will become our prayer and that we, Lord, will be encouraged by the truth that is in this 
prayer, the realities that this invites us into, uh, that we may more and more experience the unlimited love of Christ. And Lord, that we may truly be filled with all the fullness of God as your people. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can follow along if you haven't seen it in the insert that you have in your bulletin. And instead of a specific outline, we're going to take it passage by passage or verse by verse, uh, section by section, uh, which is probably one of the ways they early on uh, taught the, uh, the uh, letters of Paul uh, is just read a few verses and then comment, read a few verses and comment. So he begins here, uh, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, it's always good to ask, well, what reason are you talking about? What has preceded this that Paul's saying, now this is why I'm praying for you? And what's interesting about this phrase is that he started this earlier in the chapter. This is verse 14. Earlier in the chapter in verse 1, he started the same thing. He said, for this reason, I, Paul. Well, he got sidetracked. We'd call it a Holy Spirit uh, rabbit trail because the Holy Spirit certainly is leading Paul and directing him in everything that he writes. Um, but he then returns to that prayer in verse 14. So if he was starting to pray this in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, then there must have been things in chapter 2 that he that urged him to pray. And in two major things, he says here about the Gentiles, you were dead and God has made you alive in Christ. And specifically that you're a workmanship for good works. And I would put it this way, you were dead and now you are alive for love. You have been called into a life of love. And also, the second half, you were alienated, cut off from God and his people. Now you've been brought near into community. So you were dead and now you have a life of love. You were alienated. Now you're in community. And then he adds to this a gigantic thing in chapter three by saying this work of bringing you Gentiles into new life and into community God had an eternal purpose in that so that the wisdom of God would be made known to the angelic hosts. Now that's a huge thing. Our coming Gentiles with Jews in one church was an announcement to all the angels that, of the wisdom of God. Now, for good angels, you imagine the situation at that point where the only believers by and large in the world were Jewish believers. But then it broke out among Gentiles. Now that made the good angels overjoyed that this dark Gentile world was now being invaded with the gospel. But it would be a horror to the evil angels. We thought we had an absolute grip on the Gentile world. This is our world. Yeah, okay, Jews, there's some believing Jews, but this, this is our territory. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. 
This is God's territory. And the invasion of the light into the Gentile world is also an announcement to these evil uh, spirits. Your time is up. Your time has come. And this invasion means your final destruction. That's what's unveiled, brothers and sisters, by our being made alive and brought into community as a church. It's a cosmic, new cosmic reality that announces to the spiritual world that things will never be the same. And so for this reason, I pray means because God has done these gigantic things for you Gentiles, I'm encouraged to pray gigantic things for you. He has done great things that have announced amazing things to the angels. Therefore, for that reason, I'm praying these great things for you. So this is an encouragement. This is an exciting thing to pray for. And he's, he, he, has the posture of prayer, I bow my knees, which you can read here, stands for the intensity of his prayer. And then in the next paragraph, you see, you can't see it in the English, but in the Greek, that he uses the word father, pater, but family is patria. So you can see the relationship if you're reading, reading the original. But this doesn't mean that they have the name of father. It's an indicator that he is the creator of all these uh, beings. And the fact that he names everything indicates that he's the ruler over everything. He had just written that God was the creator of all things in chapter 3. And the reason he includes this in his prayer to say, I'm praying to the one uh, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, to say, God is sovereign over all beings in this world heavenly, earthly, and nothing can stop his prayer. Nothing can stop his work in God's people. Nothing can stand in the way of his limitless, gracious work in God's people. It's a way to say, like we do in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Why do we say who art in heaven? That indicates you're above all powers of the earth and you can do whatever you choose to do. You're our father, you want to do it, you're in heaven, you have no limit for what you want, you can do for your people. So this is a way of Paul uh, declaring these things uh, of, of the, the great power that God has. By the way, kids, I forgot to tell you the words to be looking for, and they are cats, car engine, circle of love and dog with a bone okay cats car engine circle of love dog with a bone now he then prays he gets to the prayer itself according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened and when he says i pray according to the riches of his glory i pray according to his unlimited capacity to do what I pray, what I'm asking him to do. You see, the riches of his glory, glory means the summation of everything that God is, the outshining of everything that God is. So if I'm praying in accordance with the riches of his glory, I'm praying in keeping with God's unlimited capacity 
to do what he has promised to do. And I ask here, how can this change us in the way we pray and the way we believe God in prayer? And I might ask you, do you pray to God in that way? Do you say, Lord, you have unlimited capacity and therefore I come to you to ask you these things. Always acknowledging his infinite power, always acknowledging that nothing can stop him from doing good things in your life. We have these acronyms that you've probably heard. Uh, one is ACTS, A-C-T-S, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Trying to help, if you have that outline, to include all these aspects in prayer. Or you can read it as CATS, confession, adoration, thanksgiving, supplication. I personally like TAX, T-A-C-S, because thanksgiving and adoration are first and then follow confession and supplication. And here's my point. Adoration grows faith because Paul is adoring God saying he has riches, unlimited capacity. I praise you and honor you and I tell you I'm, I'm praying and keeping with that God that he would do these things. You see, adoration brings about expectancy as you adore and remind yourself of how glorious he is and how good he is and what he's done for you in Christ Jesus, his power as creator, acknowledging these things. Well, see, your first request is backed up with all of this glory as you think about how great this God is to whom you're praying rather than just, in a sense, barging. Now, sometimes you just, it, it, that's the way we have to. We just pour our hearts out to God when we're in trouble and, or, or in anguish. Not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying in regular prayer, it is so good to remind yourself to adore him, uh, to bring strength and expectancy to your prayers as you ask him. When he prays that God will give the strength of the Spirit and the indwelling of Christ. As I say here, he literally prays that he will give strengthening and dwelling. And I would say that these are not two separate things, but they're the same thing. Uh, so the translation could be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now you'll see in the box how often Christ in us and the spirit in us are exchangeable. Like in Romans 8 there, he first says, if the spirit of God dwells in you. But in the next verse, he says, if Christ is in you. He's not saying two different things. He's, he's saying the same basic thing. Christ is in you because the Spirit is in you. He's in you through the Spirit being in you. Or in that next paragraph, uh, we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we're also, it's said that Christ is in you. And I love this amazing statement in John 14 where Paul, uh, Jesus says, I will send another helper who will dwell with you and be with you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But then he says, I will not leave you as orphans, not I will send the Spirit to you, but I will come to you. So when the Father sends the Spirit, Christ is coming to us through the Spirit. That's how wed they are in their work in us. That when the Spirit is in us, Christ is in us. 
But the two phrases help, under, help us to understand uh, both aspects of this. For instance, that when Christ is dwelling in us, it is the power, it means that the Spirit is powerfully working within us. Christ's presence is not just static, it's not passive. It is a working presence. It's a transforming presence through the Holy Spirit. And we also learn from these two phrases that it is by faith that Christ dwells in us. We trust him to save us. We trust him to, uh, that, that he will, his death will ena enable us to be forgiven of our sins, that he took away our sins on the cross. We trust him that he will bring us to heaven one day. And we trust him that he will dwell in us and be intimate with us. We trust in that and we expect it in his mercy. That he will come to me and be in me. He gives himself to me. That I might enjoy him. That I might embrace him. That I might have him and be comforted by him. So this is an intimate statement. By faith, not only do I trust in Christ, but I embrace him as being the one who dwells in me through the Holy Spirit. And he is powerfully working in me at all times. Brothers and sisters, it's so encouraging to believe that, to wake up every day and that's your mindset. Christ is in me and the Holy Spirit is powerfully working in my inner being today, right now, with the issues I face, with the spiritual problems I'm struggling with, with the relational difficulties that I have. And you notice where the work happens. He will strengthen us with power in the inner man, down there where it counts. Christ is dwelling in our hearts. This reminds me of John 7, where Jesus is speaking of the Spirit. And he says that when we believe in him, from our innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. So from the innermost part of me, new life will come forth because of the Holy Spirit. It's down there where it matters. And the heart, as we read in Jeremiah, is deceitful above all else. It's desperately wicked. And, and he ends that verse by saying, who can understand it? Who can even understand your own heart? And it's in bad shape. It's bad when something's broken and you can't even begin to understand it. It's like me. You know, this has happened in the past. Doesn't happen as often now, but you know, something happens with your car and you have to pull off the side of the road and Mr. Mechanic walks around and opens the front and I'm looking in here and I might even say something stupid like, I don't see anything which really means I don't know what I'm looking at, right? I mean, if I'm gonna fix the car, I would need to have like 10 red buttons and, and know that one of those red buttons will be flashing. You just push that button, the car will be fixed and you can go on your way. That's the only way I could do that, right? Because I'm no mechanic. I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at. But think of looking at our own hearts. We can't even understand what's going on down there. And brothers and sisters, because we're not perfect yet, there's still a lot of broken stuff in there. 
there's still a lot of stuff that has to be fixed. We don't even know where to begin to fix it. And we're talking about things like your very motives, your desires, what you want, what you want. Like kids, you want your birthday to come around. You want, I mean, every kid, if, if say, how old are you? Four and a half. Why? Because I'm going to be five. And you can't wait till you can hold up another finger and say, I'm five. I'm not four anymore. I'm five. Right. And then when you get to be a teenager, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm now a teenager. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a teenager. Then you get to 15 and you're like driving, you know, 16, driving by myself, 18, 21. We like birthdays. And in case you're as old as I am and think you don't want a birthday, the alternative is not so good, right? <laughs> you don't want to miss your next birthday. You want to celebrate your next birthday. Birthdays are good. We want our birthdays. Do I want prayer? Do I want God's word? Do I want worship? Do I want to sing God's praises? Do I want to obey my parents? Do I want to love my brother or sister? Our wants are what we can't change. And many times we don't even understand why we want something or don't want something. Why we're scared of something. What, what made us angry about that? We, don't, we can't understand ourselves. But this is encouraging. He is working in our inner man. Working and he mounts. He doesn't just say he's strengthening you. He says he's strengthening you with power. That word powers from which we get dynamite. So he's mounting. He's doubling up. He's like he's super strengthening. He's double strengthening you in your inner man right where it counts. So again, believe him. You see, by faith, Christ is dwelling in our hearts. By faith, the Spirit works within us. As we trust Him and expect Him to do these things, as we face the challenges of our life, the challenges of changing, we trust in this God who is working in our inner being. This phrase, rooted and grounded in love, is separated out in the ESV uh, so that it says, uh, so that you being rooted and grounded in love, but the, that you is not there, okay? So it, it, it should read this way, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. Almost reading, as I say here, being, of course, rooted and grounded in love. In other words, when the Spirit is working in you, Christ dwelling in your heart, you are rooted and grounded in love for one another. Community happens when Christ is alive in your heart. When this Christ is dwelling in your heart, you become a community of, that loves one another. You become supreme lovers of God and one another. And that's why in the next phrase he can say, I'm praying that together with all the saints, the saints that you love, the saints that you're rooted and grounded in love with, that you all together may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
So I don't want that as an add-on, but that's just a vital aspect of what happens when the Spirit is at work in us. He creates us into a, a community of love, and we can expect that and count on it happening for us. And then the great object of the prayer, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? There's some discussion, but I certainly uh, go with the majority of commentators who say that this spatial description goes with uh, the love of Christ. Uh, in fact, the and there is not there. It should just say the breadth and height, length and height and depth to know the love of, of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, I end with some questions uh, that we want to answer together as just a different a way of, of approaching this. So the first question may come up, why does Paul say, pray, using words of power and strength that we might know or comprehend the love of Christ? That you might have strength to comprehend. And even praying the Spirit may strengthen you so that you can know. And you tend to think, as I do, that if he's praying that I'll be strengthened, it'd be strengthened against temptation, right? Or strengthened to endure, that kind of strength. So it's kind of a surprise. He may strengthen you with power so that you can understand his love. Why would he pray that way? Well, because we're so weak in understanding God's love. We fail to do it so much. We ignore it so much in our life. We're not good at this. <laughs> We're not good. Believe you me, as many times as I've counseled people in 40 plus years, that's the major, major issue again and again is people being convinced of God's love and therefore submitting their lives to him to obey him or convinced of his love to expect good things from him, that he is on their side. We must be strengthened. We ignore it. We refuse it. We find it hard to believe. We find it hard to live it out so that we love others passionately, sacrificially. Why don't we do that better? Because we don't understand and believe his love. You get the connection. Every struggle you have in loving others is connected to how much you believe and embrace and are excited about and amazed at the love of God for you. Yes, oh Lord, we pray, strengthen us so that we may know the love of Christ. And when it says comprehend this as you know, is not just intellectual, just, oh, I understand the fact that, that Jesus loves me, but to comprehend it, to, to know it, to cherish it, for in the words of Romans 5, 5, for his love to be poured into my heart so that I experience it. I'm moved by it. I'm thrilled with it. I'm encouraged by it. I rejoice in it. I bank on it. It's a part of my daily life. And we can never do that perfectly, but we're praying that my life will comprehend and take on 
the picture, the color, the hues, the atmosphere, the life and fruitfulness of the love of God in Christ. Why is the comprehension of Christ's love the central object of his prayer? Because everything is bound up in our understanding of God's love. As we've talked about before in John 4, he basically describes conversion in this way. He, he, he describes coming to Christ in this way. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. 1 John 4, 16. He's saying that's what's happened in our life. That's his way of describing we are Christians. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. That's how central that is to our life. That's why the Holy Spirit pours the love of God in our hearts. That's why the Holy Spirit convinces us to say, Abba, Father, in Romans 8. Convincing us that he is our daddy. We can pray to him in this way. Why the Spirit here is working in our hearts so that we can understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why all of the commandments of God boil down to two things, Jesus said, loving God and loving others. And John says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's how central this is in our life. Well, this next question, does our love for one another play a part in this? Well, better maybe to ask, how does our love for one another play a part in this? And kids, here, uh, I'd like you to, maybe if you've got a pencil and you want to draw a little bit, or if you're an adult, you can draw too. Um, but this is the circle of love. So John says, we love because he first loved us. And that for me was kind of the picture of the whole Christian life. An arrow pointing down from God and do three stick figures with arrows pointing back and forth. We love one another because he first loved us, right? That seems to be, that's it. Ah, but Ephesians 3 is coming in saying something different. It's when we're rooted and grounded in love for one another that together we can understand the depths of Christ's love. So it comes down, it comes and then arrows back up to God, which means brothers and sisters, although we can have wonderful times and quiet times and I've had them by God's grace alone, experiencing God's love, it's saying you will really not know this love of Christ outside of a community of love. To see love in action in the people of God and know this comes from God. To be loved or forgiven or cherished or served in a way you didn't think was possible and realize that's God's love for me. That's being shown and manifested by another human being to me. And his love is opened up again and again and again as we observe and experience the love of God's people. That's an amazing thing. I can't know God without you. You can't love God fully without one another. It binds us together. And this fullness of God means that if we know the love of Christ, we will have God. We will know who God is. That's, he's not separate from this. That's what's so amazing about this last phrase. And I take these uh, next two more or less together. 
that to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you'll be filled up the fullness of God because God has made himself known in Christ. If you know Christ's love, you know, Christ, you know God. If you experience Christ's love and embrace and have him, you have God. And to be filled up to his fullness means that you will be conformed to God, to conform to his love. You will conform yourself to his love. It also means to be filled up to his fullness means that you will praise this God of love. The whole first chapter, he just describes the great things God has done for us. And he has this refrain, to the praise of the glory of his grace. The grace that is glorious. Praise him for his grace. Praise him for this unlimited love in which Christ, as described in Philippians 2, did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but he poured himself out lavishly. He took the form of a servant, even to the point of death on a cross to love us. Or as God, or as Paul, you can just say, is amazed in Romans 5, he says, but God demonstrated his love and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The writers of the New Testament are amazed at the love of God, amazed at what Christ did. And brothers and sisters, we need the powerful work of the Spirit to be constantly amazed at the love of God. Because if you're anything like me, I, on a given day, I can just be thinking, nah, hardly even hits my heart. Oh, how I need the strength of God. Oh, how I need the powerful working of the Spirit of God. And can this help you? <laughs> can this change your life? I remind you what Jesus said in John 13 to his disciples. He said, after washing their feet, he says, you know these things, you see them, you'll be blessed if you do them. I hope that all of your prayer lives will be affected by this. What you pray, what you expect from God, as James says, don't just listen to the word, but do it. You know, live it out in your life. Let your prayers happily take on the richness of, oh, you're, you're the God who will do anything and who can do anything for me. You're the God who's working in my heart. And oh Lord, I long to know more of the love of Christ. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants. What a happy goal for you, for God to say, I want them to be ravished on my love. You can pray that again and again and know he will do that for you and for me. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your salvation. The, the great parts of it, Lord, this salvation is that we are rescued from ignoring you. We're rescued from not caring about you. We're, we're rescued from being dull to your love. You save us so that we can be in awe of you and what you've done for us. And oh Lord, I, we all admit how weak we are in this regard. 
And how in a moment, a moment of anger, a moment of jealousy, a moment of envy, a moment of lust, we absolutely just completely forget, turn our backs on your love for us. Oh Lord, strengthen us through your spirit down there where it really counts so that we will want the things that you have for us, O oh Lord. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.